host, Stephanie Miller, and you're listening to The Killer Kind. I hope everyone has had a great Memorial Day weekend. I know I have. I'm excited that we have finally made it to summer. (laughs) It's going to be a busy couple months for me, but I am here for it. But without further ado, let's talk about today's case that I have for you. This is yet another case that I think is important to share. We have a young, carefree college student known as a millennial hippie. She's known to love and to trust everyone to a fault. So let's get into it. Today we're talking about a shocking murder turned international manhunt. The case of Haley Anderson. Haley Anderson was born on May 9, 1995, in the Westbury area of Long Island, New York. Growing up, she was close to her family. Her parents, Karen and Gordon Anderson, and especially her younger sister, Maddie. Haley was described by her friends and family as someone with an enchanting smile and warm heart. Haley was talented, she was hardworking, and a passionate person who was always there for the ones that she loved. She had this fun, caring attitude that instantly helped people connect with her. And that's why when Haley went off to college, her family was, they knew not to worry about her. They were sad to see her go, but knew she would flourish, and she did. By 2018, Haley was a fifth-year senior at Binghamton University, where she was seeking her degree in nursing. The Binghamton area had a population of about 200,000 at the time, and it was known to have a history of some major crime, but only about five to six homicides a year. It wasn't the most unsafe area for college students, but it had its fair share of crime, which could be said about, I think, any college town, pretty much. The university was located in central New York, close to Ithaca, It had a student body of a little more than 13,000. Now, at the time, Haley was working as a barista at a coffee shop on campus called Jasmine's Cafe, and she was set to graduate in May 2018. She had a job lined up already at a Long Island hospital as an ER nurse. Although her friends and family knew her long-term dream was to move out to California, rent a hippie van, and travel across the country as a travel nurse. She was that kind of carefree spirit, but she was so excited to graduate, and so was her mom, who was planning a graduation party for her daughter. She was excited to have her daughter closer to home after graduation as well. Now, a little backstory on Haley. Within her first and second year at Binghamton, she met a young man named Kevin. He was a fellow nursing student, and the two started dating casually. Although, Kevin said that Haley wasn't interested in anything too serious. She wanted to enjoy her time in college before committing to a long-term relationship. And with her big dreams of traveling the country, she wasn't really sure when or if she'd want to settle down. Nonetheless, the two hung out and, like I said, continued to date casually. At the time, Haley was living with two girls named Josie and Mashila in an off-campus apartment, and they became very close. 
In 2016, Kevin threw a party at his apartment, and of course, Haley and her friends attended. And this is where Haley sees a young guy named Orlando Tercero. Orlando was also a nursing student, so he and Haley did have a few classes together, so they kind of knew each other. Orlando was born in Miami, Florida, but he grew up in Nicaragua. Ultimately, the two hit it off at this party. They ended up spending a lot of time together. One of Orlando's friends said that Orlando really liked Haley. He said they were both lives of the party. They were both very social and were fun to be around. So it only made sense that these two would click. Now, their relationship did kind of start off as just friends to the point that Haley, Orlando, and Kevin would all hang out together. There was no turmoil or jealousy, it seemed. And Kevin himself was in a fraternity at Binghamton, and he was in charge of recruitment. So he ended up recruiting Orlando to be in this fraternity. Kevin and Orlando were both Hispanic, and they both could speak Spanish. So this made the fraternity probably more diverse and sort of opened that door to new members with these different backgrounds. With all that said, the friendship between the three obviously didn't last long because when Haley and Kevin went on a break in their relationship, she and Orlando hooked up a few times. Once again, though, Haley made it very clear that she did not want a serious relationship. She didn't mind hooking up, but wanted to maintain their friendship and keep it very casual. However, Orlando's roommate, Jesse, claimed that the two hung out all the time and they ended up developing their own on-again, off-again relationship like she seemed to have had with Kevin. Jesse said that there would be times where he could hear the two arguing and then he would not see Haley for extended periods of time. But then there were some times he'd see her over there all the time and could hear them laughing and cutting up together. But eventually, things came to a head. Orlando was pulled aside by some of the guys in the fraternity saying that he needed to end things with Haley because of Kevin. Since he and Kevin were friends, it just didn't seem right to do this to him. And if he didn't want to stop seeing Haley, then he would ultimately be kicked out of the fraternity. He was ultimately kicked out (laughs) because he refused to stop his romantic relationship with Haley. Now, after I heard about this conversation, It made me wonder if Orlando and Haley were keeping their relationship a secret in some way or maybe trying to hide it from Kevin. I can't say that for sure, but because of this, it kind of seemed that way to me. So that's possible. But either way, it didn't really matter because eventually Haley told Orlando she did not want to have a romantic relationship with him anymore. She said the two could be friends, but that was it. No more hooking up or anything like that. And this didn't sit well with Orlando. According to Haley's mom, Orlando made her feel guilty for him getting kicked out of the fraternity. And then he also threatened to kill himself if she stopped hanging out with him, which that is a huge red flag. And I hope everyone here knows that. If you see that or if you hear that, run, get out of there, get far away from that person as possible. But either way... (laughs) So one of Haley's roommates, Josie, said that Orlando would randomly start to come over and just sit on their porch and smoke a cigarette, whether Haley was there or not. And they also started to notice that Orlando would drive past their apartment a lot. And not only that, 
he was just always sort of creeping around. Josie said that she would be the one to have to go down there and deal with him and make him leave. She said that she wasn't too surprised by his actions because even when the two were friends and hanging out, she could tell that Orlando was just obsessed with Haley. She said she clearly wanted, she said, excuse me, he clearly wanted a lot more from Haley than she was giving him. On Friday, September 15th, 2017, Haley attends a party that Orlando is throwing at his house. And this was after the two had ended things. And it was by this point that Orlando had heard that Haley had gotten back together with Kevin. So when she showed up at his party, he confronted her about it. And the two got into a pretty heated argument. The argument ended and Orlando did try to calm things down. He poured shots for everyone, including Haley, and he ended up ultimately getting sick and had to turn in for the night. That same night, though, Kevin went over to Haley's apartment and the two stayed the night together. That next morning, Haley walks Kevin out and as Kevin is leaving, he walks past Haley's car in the parking lot. He notices that Something looked off at first. Come to find out, all four of Haley's tires had been slashed. Kevin told her that he knew this had to be Orlando. So the two called Orlando and questioned him about it. He obviously denied it, but then turned around and tried to say that it had to be Kevin that did it and tried to turn things around on him. But we all know that doesn't make any sense. Ultimately, Haley got the police involved. When they arrived, they said there was over $600 in damages and that Haley could press charges against Orlando if she wanted to. Now, due to the amount of damage this caused, it would have been considered a felony. Therefore, Orlando could have been kicked out of nursing school and possibly sent back to Nicaragua. And being the empathetic person that Haley was, she didn't want this incident to ruin Orlando's life, essentially. So she declined the offer to press charges. And for a period of time after this, Haley did keep her distance from Orlando. She didn't really speak to him, definitely refused to see him. But after a few months, the two slowly started speaking again and, and tried to, you know, mend some sort of friendship. Not to the extent it was before, obviously, but they were at least becoming friends again, slightly, despite Kevin, her friends, and family all warning against this. Now, everything does go back to normal. She maintains that friendship with Orlando, and I believe she continues her relationship with Kevin as well, and everything is good, or so it seems. On Wednesday, March 7th, 2018, six months after her tires were slashed, things take a dark turn. Haley and her roommates are at their apartment on this particular night. Her roommate, Josie, said they stayed up pretty late, drinking a little wine, playing some board games, and just enjoying themselves. It wasn't until around 1 a.m. that the girls decided to call it a night and go to bed. They each went to their separate rooms, and that was that. That next morning, Josie and Mashila woke up and went out into the living room, and they realized that Haley wasn't coming out of her room, so they decided to text her to see if she was awake, but there was no response. Josie said that Haley loved to sleep, 
that's my girl. (laughs) So it wasn't too surprising when she didn't text back. They assumed that she was just still asleep. But as the day went on, nobody was able to get in touch with Haley. And by that evening, when nobody had heard from her, everyone started to get a little worried, not, not like too crazy, but just, you know, starting to question things. Josie said that she was going to be reading poetry at a poetry night at a nearby cafe, and Haley had told her that she was going to be there, but she never showed up. It wasn't until that Friday morning that Haley's roommates knew something was definitely wrong when they still hadn't seen her or heard from her. So they ultimately called the Binghamton police to report their friend missing. But what was odd was that they weren't the only ones calling. Apparently, Orlando's sister called to say that she hadn't been able to reach her brother and wanted them to conduct a welfare check. Binghamton PD said that they had received two calls within an hour of each other, and that just was not normal for this area. And side note, the Binghamton police did conduct a welfare check at Orlando's house, but when they got there, nobody answered the door. And they also noticed that his car was not in the driveway. So they ultimately told his sister that he likely left the house and was just out somewhere. There was really nothing they could do at this point. At the same time, Haley's roommates were still trying to figure out where their friend was on their own. They were reaching out to everyone they could, including Orlando. With no luck, the girls try the Find My iPhone app and determine that Haley's cell phone is at Orlando's house. So they immediately drive over there themselves. First things first, they notice, just like the police did, that Orlando's car is not in the driveway. But that doesn't explain why Haley's phone still says that she's there. So they start knocking on the door, and of course, nobody answers. So Josie and Michelle decide to climb through one of the windows. Again, these are my kind of girls. She said that she was scared to go in, Josie did, not knowing what she might find. Once inside, Mashila is walking ahead of Josie, and all of a sudden, Mashila screams and tells Josie to call 911. Haley Anderson had been found. However, she is lying face up on Orlando's bed, fully naked, non-responsive, and pale in color. Initially, Josie said she was in shock, and at first glance, she couldn't even tell what really had happened to Haley, if anything. She said there was no blood anywhere, no signs of a struggle, but clearly something bad had happened. When police arrived, they were able to determine that Haley was deceased. They also noticed that she had bruises all over her arms as well as her neck. And once the autopsy was done, it was determined that she had died of asphyxiation or manual strangulation, which I've also seen it noted as. That Friday afternoon, Haley's mom, Karen, gets the knock on her door that every parent fears. Karen said that she looked out the window and sees two men getting out of a black car and they start walking up to her door. And that's always the first sign, right? It's always two officers, essentially. But she said it took her a minute to register what was happening. Ultimately, they gave her the devastating news that her daughter had been found strangled to death in her boyfriend's room. So Bingham Police Lieutenant Corey Miner, who led the investigation, is thinking 
they have this young girl deceased in some random guy's room, yet he's nowhere to be found. When looking around the house, though, they notice there are surveillance cameras on the outside of the home. So they immediately obtain the footage and are able to piece together somewhat of a timeline of Haley and Orlando's movements since that Friday night or like slash that early Friday morning on the 8th. The first sign of Haley is at 3.14 a.m. on the early morning hours of that Friday. So she spends the night, that Thursday night with her roommates. They all go to bed about 1 a.m. And then Haley must have talked to Orlando and made plans to hang out. The two can be seen walking into his house. Haley appears to be completely walking in willingly. Nothing out of the ordinary there. But seven hours later, Orlando can be seen outside of the house, taking out some garbage. He then gets in his car and leaves for a period of time. It was determined that Orlando went to a nearby CVS store and purchased Zequil and melatonin based on a receipt they found inside the home. Orlando returned to the house at 10.41 a.m. and he stays inside for yet another seven hours. At 6.38 p.m., he is seen outside the house and going back in through the basement entrance. A few hours after this, he is seen leaving the house carrying some luggage, puts it in the back of his car, and is seen leaving the driveway. Now, the receipt from the CVS and the surveillance footage weren't the only pieces of evidence against Mr. Tercero. Investigators found what looked to be a suicide note as well. It was written in Spanish and translated. It said, I'm really sorry about this. I never felt that I would be capable of doing this. Father, I'll see you soon. Apparently, Orlando's dad had passed away about five years prior to this. So to investigators, this meant he would be joining his father in death. And there was some indication that he was making plans to commit suicide, not just the suicide note. In an open doorway, there was four hooks that had been screwed into the top of the doorway with a tie hooked to it. Below this contraption were spots of blood on the floor. So it suggested that Orlando attempted to commit suicide, I guess, and is likely injured in some way. Investigators speculated that since his attempt to kill himself failed, that he likely decided to flee. He was seen leaving his house at around 8.20 p.m., and they were able to determine that he drove over three hours away to the New York JFK airport. How did they figure this out, you might ask? Well, apparently Orlando's roommate, Jesse, reached out to his sister, Orlando's sister, and she told him that Orlando had actually texted her earlier that day and said, quote, I've done something bad. I'm a disgrace to the family. She went on to say that he that she knew he boarded a flight to Nicaragua. So detectives panic and rush to JFK to see if Orlando could possibly still be there. They weren't able to locate him on their own, so they asked to pull security footage. And sure enough, he was spotted on JFK airport security with two pieces of luggage and with his head bandaged. And where was he headed? back home to Nicaragua. So she was right. This was obviously a concern for detectives because they clearly couldn't just fly to Nicaragua and hunt this guy down. Police can't go out of their own city, let alone their own country. So that made the search for Orlando even harder. 
But I watched the 48 Hours episode on this case, and one thing that kind of stood out to me as odd, according to the Broome County District Attorney, Stephen Cornwell, he said that he had no idea who picked up Orlando from the airport, which means his timeline in Nicaragua was a little bit spotty. But according to the host of the show, 48 Hours found out that it was his mother that picked him up. I don't know how they figured that out, but I wanted to give them credit for that information. So according to them, Orlando's mother picks him up from the airport and drives him three hours back to their hometown. I will not embarrass myself by attempting to pronounce the name of this town. So I'm sorry that's not listed here. But four days after he arrived, Orlando's mother decided he needed medical attention. It's unclear to me if this was because of the wound that he already had on his head or if it was another injury, because according to the medical records, he arrived with a, quote, self-inflicted wound. Now, the town there from did not have much medical attention to offer, so she takes her son about an hour and a half south to the larger town of Leon, where he can be taken care of there. Now, let me stop and say, this man is a fugitive on the run, so going to a public hospital probably wasn't his best idea. Because since Haley's murder, the local news started reporting on it, and it gained nationwide attention when her supposed killer fled the country. So this was an international manhunt at this point. Luckily, it took only four days from the time Orlando landed in Nicaragua for local police to capture Orlando Tercero. They received a tip from someone at the hospital, and that is where he was ultimately found and arrested. The following day, Nicaraguan police held a press conference announcing they had found the missing fugitive. He was even seen on camera standing in front of police in handcuffs with a large bandage on his forehead. It, and I'm also going to stop and say, this is very much like videos from like the Taliban where they're holding like shotguns or like these rifles standing behind somebody they've captured like picture that and that's what you see on this tv which is crazy and speaking of crazy the unfortunate part was that according to Stephen Cornwell and investigators on the case they didn't know where to go from here because they were in the dark since Orlando fled to Nicaragua and since he was captured plus he had dual citizenship, Nicaraguan police could hold him there. He didn't have to be sent back to the U.S., which just blew my mind when I read that. Now, in the meantime, less than a week after her death, Haley's friends and family gathered together to lay her to rest. Two months later, with the Binghamton police still in limbo with the Nicaraguan authorities, the day comes that everyone had been dreading. Graduation day at the university where Haley would have and should have graduated. Karen Anderson said it was probably one of the saddest days since her daughter's death, seeing her fellow classmates walking where her daughter's footsteps should have been. And plus, there was a picture of Haley along with her cap and gown on an empty chair. Her father, Gordon, accepted his daughter's diploma on her behalf. He said he wanted to do that because that maybe walking where she would have walked made him feel a part of her in him. Now, it takes over a year and a half for Orlando's case to move forward. 
Attorney Stephen Cornwell said he gets a call from the Department of Justice in September 2019, and they have a good news and bad news situation. The bad news is that Nicaragua is not going to be sending Orlando back to the U.S., even though they could if they wanted to. But the good news is they're going to try him for the crime there, which is only somewhat good news. I mean, at least the case is finally going to trial, but the problem is the grand jury in the U.S. charged him with second-degree murder, which I do not agree with, but that's another topic. But in Nicaragua, they were charging him with femicide, which is homicide of a female because she's a female, which isn't a thing in the U.S., which it should be. And Haley's mom has since advocated for that and probably will continue to. Now, attorney Cornwell said that he didn't think there was a chance in that Orlando would be tried appropriately. But luckily, they get a break. The DA and his office were asked to assist the Nicaraguan prosecution team. Stephen said they only had eight days to prepare for trial, and this wasn't going to be like any other trial they had been a part of before. Instead of a jury, there would be just one judge, and the team in the U.S. would be a part of the trial from the states via teleconference. And this was 2019. This was before everyone got used to Zoom meetings, so this was... A little odd, to say the least. The trial started on October 1st, 2019. Haley's mother was able to testify again via teleconference, and she went into detail about the times that Haley told her that Orlando would drive by their house after they were broken up, and especially about the whole tire slashing incident. She told the judge how everyone in Haley's life tried to tell her to stay away from Orlando, but she was just too kind and trusting. The prosecution also had Kevin and Haley's roommates testify as well, and they all said the same things, how nobody trusted him and all of his sort of unnerving behavior. All of the evidence was presented as well, including the suicide note where he mentioned doing something he didn't think he was capable of. On top of that, the autopsy report was presented and the medical examiner himself spoke at the trial. And he said that based on his findings, he believed Haley was asleep at the time she was strangled, which makes you think that he probably gave Haley that Z-Quil and melatonin somehow and then waited until she fell asleep before strangling her, which is such a cowardly move, but so is suicide in this situation. So this guy screams coward. Most, most killers do, but you get what I'm saying. So the U.S. prosecutors go through all the evidence against Orlando. Her roommate Josie and her mom Karen testify against him, which is the first time they both are seeing Orlando since Haley's death. It's not face-to-face, but it's as close as they're going to get. And Karen said his demeanor in the courtroom was basically disgusting. He appeared cocky, laid back with his kind of arm up on the on the chair, all relaxed. She said he almost looked bored and annoyed. Never once did he appear to show any kind of empathy, which only made her angry. And her anger only gets worse when it's the defense team's turn to give their argument. So it's obvious that Orlando is the killer. There's really no one that's going to deny that. And they don't deny it, surprisingly. Instead, they claim something even worse, in my opinion. 
their argument was temporary insanity. I mean, what else you gonna what else you gonna argue? Orlando's defense attorney stated that Orlando was under the influence of alcohol at the time of the murder, and because of that, he did not know what he was doing. Therefore, they are claiming insanity. Their one and only witness was a psychiatrist. And what's funny is that the psychiatrist didn't really help them out at all. (laughs) He said that, yes, in some cases, when someone is under the influence of drugs or alcohol, they can't control their actions and really don't know what they do. He claimed to have spoken to Orlando, who stated that he woke up after drinking the night before and saw Haley's body next to him. The psychiatrist stated, however, that there was no way to confirm his state of mind the night of the murder. All he can comment on is his current state and that there appears to be nothing wrong with his current mental state. So, needless to say, the defense team had no defense. He probably would have been better off coming back to the U.S. for the trial, but nonetheless, the trial continued. After the closing arguments, the judge did something we never see in a U.S. criminal trial. She gave Haley's family the last word. Haley's mom basically just reiterates what a great person that Haley was. How caring and trusting and loving she was to everyone. After that, the judge does something else the U.S. team wasn't used to. She said she would return with her verdict after a brief recess. Now, in a normal trial... Um, the DA said they usually expect a day or two of deliberation, but in this case, it took just 90 minutes and the judge returned with her verdict. Guilty of femicide. She said that Orlando disposed of Haley because he did not accept that she had control over herself. Two weeks later, the judge sentenced Orlando to the maximum punishment for the crime, 30 years behind bars. Haley's mom said at the time she was glad that the trial was over and that her daughter received the justice that she deserved, although the verdict could not bring her back. She said that she was glad that the chapter could be closed and that they were able to start the healing process. Now, this feeling was somewhat short-lived because on February 4th, 2020, Orlando was back in the courtroom trying to appeal his conviction. This time, he was placed in front of three magistrates, and his trial attorney was able to present their appeal. Now, I don't know all of the logistics behind the Nicaraguan government and how that works. I mean, heck, I can barely even keep up with the United States and what they have going on in situations like this. But either way, long story short, the attorney states that they want a new psychiatric evaluation for Orlando as well as a lesser sentence, still claiming that Orlando does not remember killing Haley. And as far as the lesser sentence goes, he argued that in the U.S. he would have been charged with second-degree murder, which would have carried a lesser sentence than femicide. So, of course, that's what you want is a lesser sentence based on that. They also argued that he was wrongfully accused of femicide, that either way, that shouldn't have been the charge against him. Now, the magistrates immediately say they are not going to allow for another psychiatric evaluation and basically won't appeal the whole case. However, as far as lessening his sentence, they would need to deliberate, which I'm sure was gut-wrenching for Haley's family. 
A little over a month later, on March 10th, 2020, the magistrates gather everyone, including the Broome County team and Haley's parents, to let them know their decision. The hearing took over an hour, where an officer of the court read through a 12-page response. In the end, they explained his appeal had been completely denied. His conviction and sentence would stand. Orlando would spend the remainder of his 30-year sentence in a Nicaraguan penitentiary, which, according to 48 Hours, is known for its overcrowding. Also, where the inmates receive one, I'll repeat that, one small meal a day of rice and beans. And if they want more, well, somebody's going to have to bring it to them. Which, I'm sorry, that brings me a little bit of joy Don't judge me. (laughs) What also brings me joy is that apparently if Orlando is ever released and tries to step foot back into America, Broome County can find him, arrest him, and he can be charged and tried for Haley's murder again. According to the DA, there is no double jeopardy here. So that is the first thing they will do if they ever find out that Orlando is released. He said they would be doing it for the family. Because this guy is 100% capable of killing again. And that is the case of Haley Anderson. What a wild ride, right? (laughs) This might be our first international manhunt on the killer kind, if I'm not mistaken. And what an idiot. But I mean, that's the kind of coward and piece of crap this guy is. I'm not surprised that he left Haley there without even trying to cover it up. And he flees back to his mom. Sorry, clearly I'm bitter about it. I guess because I saw what Haley's mom saw, just how little remorse this guy showed, he deserves no sympathy. And I am almost 100% positive I watched this trial. I feel like it was on some sort of like Facebook Live or something like that. Let me know if you guys watched that too, because I think once you Google this guy, you'll it'll come to you if you've seen it. But anyways, I do not buy his insanity plea for a second. And maybe I would if he had even tried to act like he cared. But as always, I want to know your thoughts. Head over to the podcast Instagram or the new podcast Facebook page. I know I have a lot of friends and family that use Facebook that would interact on there. So please give the podcast socials a follow wherever you can. And I feel like I rarely ever say this, but please subscribe to the show wherever you're listening and leave a review if you would. That just really helps people find the show, kind of helps spread the word about the show and spreads the word about these cases that I feel people need to hear. Now, I know I mentioned possibly taking the month of June off, but I really don't want to do that. I don't want to do that to you guys. However, I know these next few weeks are going to be crazy for me. So I know it'll at least be three weeks from now before I get the next episode out for you guys, because I will actually be out of town for a friend's birthday trip in two weeks. So I'm excited about that, but that limits when I can put the next episode out. So that's why it'll be important to follow me or to subscribe to the show. So you can see when a new episode is posted and I'll try to update you guys on the social media pages to let you know when to expect the next episode. So I will see you guys soon. Until next time, stay safe. Bye.